When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It is Sunday, December 27th. And today we're airing the second part of our interview with the director of The China Hustle. That's a documentary about some pretty scary, shady Chinese companies. The director is Jed Rothstein. His main character is Dan David. In this part of the interview, we talk about how they tried to expose these shady companies to U.S. authorities, which didn't work. And so they decided to do what every investor does, short them. You'll also hear about the ordinary investors who lost their shirts betting on some of these Chinese companies. Here's the second part of our interview with Jed Rothstein and Dan David. You go hire these guys. You find out that, in fact, it is fraudulent. And and then you start beginning the process of saying, let's now bet against them. No. What happens then? I said, well... We don't want to be short sellers. That's that's not our outlook. We're value investors. Let's not try and learn a new game. Let's go to the investment banks. Let's go to the SEC. Let's go to the exchanges. Let's tell them what we found. And let's see if if maybe they could hire us or somebody like us to do proper diligence so that American investors won't be ripped off. And And we can just buy good Chinese companies because we still wanted to do that. Uh, and we were just, you know, soundly pushed aside, threatened to be sued and sued uh, by almost any of these entities. Uh, when we're speaking to the exchanges, I mean, it's like, who the hell are you? Uh, also, you are, were you treated like, oh, you're not some big white shoe Wall Street dude. You're a guy from Pennsylvania doing We're bullied. What? Yeah. yeah, we were bullied. And, and we didn't take too well to that. Mm-hmm. So we published our first two short reports without taking a position. Interesting. We said, we said, look, we'll spend $50,000 buying grave plots in China, proving that this company didn't own the cemetery they said they owned. Uh, and then there was a pharmaceutical company as well. And we said, well, we won't take a short position, and the investor community will buy our research. They'll love us. Uh, so we put that report out, and the investor community said, you're short sellers. We don't care if you say you took a position or you didn't. If you're, if you're a critic, you're a short seller. Okay. Can I just stop for a second? Jed. Yes. Who devised the storytelling of how to present what short selling is in the movie? I did. It is brilliant. And I want you to, I want that clip and I want it to go viral. It is the best explanation ever of short selling that I've ever seen. I've been doing this for 30 something years. It's brilliant. It's hard to wrap your head around, isn't it? Short, I mean, it took me a while to really myself understand the mechanism, the key mechanism of the borrow borrowing something and then selling it right away. And I think that that's, that's not a natural um, transaction. So it really took me a while to understand it and to be able to explain it in a simple enough way. And so right in the middle of the movie, there's this great animation, which is the best ex- explanation ever of short selling, which should be its own animation. And you should basically license it to every investment firm. Which I'll when tell I had the animator. Amazing. Really great. And I think that the, the concept of betting against uh-huh. is always this 
it's a strange feeling because you uh-huh. hear from the investment community, oh, those guys, they're the bad guys, they're short yeah. sellers. So you also have Jim Chanus in the in the movie, who's a legendary short seller. And I thought he also did a good explanation of like, look, this is part of the market. You want both sides represented, right? Right. I, you know, one of our screenings uh, early on, somebody in the audience stood up and said, ah, oh, you shouldn't have short sellers. They're... They shouldn't be allowed in the markets. They just want to bring things down. And my thinking was, well, if you have a market, you have to have the ability to suggest that stocks should go up and also that they should go down. That's um, not to say that every every short position is justified. I mean, of course, they're not always. But and I they think, don't always work out. Yeah. And there's a huge risk in Oftentimes, being a short seller, yeah. right? I mean, so that's the other oh, part of it. It's a huge risk to short a fraud. Of course. When you're short. You're only going to make money if the market agrees with your thesis at the same time you do. If they agree a year later, you could be out of business. And that happens all the time. They're like, oh, what that guy said last year, it turned out he was right. He's broke right? because he had to hold on to that short. Well, it went up you know, 10x, but that's what ends up happening. And when you're shorting a fraud, everybody says, well, this company's a complete fraud. You're going to take them to zero. It's easy. A fraud can say anything. So when you come out against them and the next day they put out a press release, A, calling you a financial terrorist, and B, saying, by the way, we just signed an agreement with Nestle, You're... they know they're caught anyway, so they're just pumping their stock at the end. Oh, God. Okay, so you write the research report, you figure you're going to be this great resource to the community, right. you're going to be like the Sandy Bernsteins of the, of, right. of the short China world, yeah. you're going to do all this stuff. What happened? Well, we just said from then on, said, look, we're, we're, we're just we're just going to embrace it and we're going to short. And uh, one of our first big shorts was um, Sube, uh, which claimed to have 500 employees and they had like 25. And we filmed that. So that's a rounding error. It is. <laughs> and then Pudicol, which I explained Ming Zhao stole the money. And and that went that was that was a huge shock to the market. Uh, and from then on. Like nobody took myself or Ma seriously until we started crashing billion dollar companies. And and what years were And then the this SEC wanted to talk to us. Well, so let's talk about this. So what what years so so we now know kind of the progression. What years did you start actively shorting and making money? 2011. Just in 11 or 11 12 ish. When did Oh, they... from 11 on. 11 on. I'm, and then... I'm almost exclusively short now. Okay. And so what why did they want to come talk to you when when you started making money and crashing companies? Well, because it turned out that we knew what we were doing. And, and, and look, you have to, I, I have to understand that the SEC takes a great amount of calls every day from anywhere from somebody that's intelligent, like, you know, uh, an investor to a crackpot. And they don't know who they're talking to. And then, you know, and then when you make a name for yourself, it's still a one-sided conversation. Don't get me wrong. It's not like you go into the SEC and they tell you what they're thinking and you tell them what you're thinking. You tell them what you're thinking, period. And people have often said to me, you know, you meet with the SEC and you give them this time-lapse surveillance and this lock-solid fraud, that must be a great day for them. You've, you've done all their work. So that's a good day for them. A great day for the SEC is when I do all of that and I've made a mistake too, and they get two cases for one. Right, because while you're here, I might as well look into who you are. Right. And I've never met with them represented by an attorney. Just you alone and your partner? That's right. Wow. Because, and, and believe me, my attorney's not too happy about it. But I said, I'm not paying you $1,000 an hour to tell the truth. If they have a question, I'm going to answer it. 
I don't need you there for that. Mm. So if you run your business like you're going to be audited tomorrow or you're going to have to speak to the SEC tomorrow, you, know, you, you don't have to rack up all these legal fees. I, I, you know, I spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year as it is on legal fees fighting you know, frivolous lawsuits. So right now you're still a short seller and mm. this has all been going on for all these years. What is the, the, the part of the story, Jed, that where you kind of explain the fraud, the fraud is exposed, and then explain to me why you wanted to bring in these sort of individuals who lost their shirt betting on it? Because it, like, cause he's two big institutional guys. You wouldn't care if like a hedge fund went broke doing it. Well, there are two things. One, the vast majority of the money that was lost was lost in this big skim that all of us probably suffered from but maybe didn't know about if, if you weren't looking very closely. But there were also these individuals, like the few, a few of them who, who you see in the film, who for whatever reason invested a lot of money in particular companies that really collapsed. And I thought it was important to show that it, you know, it affects not only everyone in this big skim but also individuals who believe that this was their way to make a little money for their retirement. Um, some people have criticized those individuals and said, well, what, you know, that's, why would you put all your money in this one company? And I think that's a valid criticism. I mean, no financial advisor would suggest that that's a good investment strategy. Right. I mean, these may be the same exact people who are like buying gold at night or Bitcoin. I, but I do think, I, I think that that's a valid criticism and clearly it, they made bad decisions. I mean, that's demonstrably true. Yeah. But I also think it's important to show that side of the equation, not just because it personalizes it, but also because the way that our economy is set up now, a lot of people don't have adequate retirement plans. Uh, so they're encouraged, we're all encouraged to go out on our own and invest. I just have seen a series of commercials that are running, which I'm sure you guys have seen, that show senior citizens doing jobs that they, they're not really physically qualified to do, like holding a fire hose <laughs> or being a DJ in a nightclub. And the, the commercials are funny, and it, the, the message of the commercials is, if you don't want to be working when you're 85 years old, come on and trade some shares and make yourself, yeah. you know, take care of yourself. While, yes, it's true, if, if people got into trading on their own accounts in one or two companies, it's an, generally an unwise strategy if they don't know what they're doing. And th you can criticize people for that. But I do think it's, it's part of this system that we're all involved in, and my my main takeaway from this, again, is what kind of society do we want to have? We want to have, or you know, I do, and I'm sure you guys do want to have a capitalist system and a market system, but we want it to be one with some modicum of fairness and transparency and one where you can believe what you're looking at more or less. And I think that um, showing the individuals who lost money in this kind of personalizes it and, and also broadens the scope of, of the question that we're looking at. Mm -hmm. So, Dan, what's the current risk that is now surrounding these Chinese companies that are, people are investing in from the U.S.? One trillion dollars. That sounds like a lot. I mean, there's a trillion dollars worth of market cap on our U.S. exchanges. Uh, not to mention how many pension funds that are invested in, say, a Morgan Stanley or, or something of that ilk that has a Hong Kong, an Asia fund. In, in the Hong Kong market is, is, is a very manipulated market. It's not like the China A-share market, which is ridiculous, objectively. But there's a trillion-dollar risk. And, and systematically, I, you have to hand it to the Chinese for, for planning. 
They really do. They put out a five-year plan, but they have a 20-year plan that they don't put out. And, and they're very good about updating it and sticking to it. And, and what, what they saw in 2008 was, wow, thank goodness we weren't so attached to the U.S. market here in 2008. That could have really taken us down with them. And since 2008, they've said, you know what? Our term is coming. So they've attached themselves to every market in the world over the last 10 years in a very, very big way. If you go back and just look at the last 10 years, the outflow of China capital buying American companies, buying European companies, and investing into other markets will force the rest of the world to pull out of pull China out of any bubble. China doesn't just have a bubble. They have bubbles. Uh, they have a real estate bubble. Debt. Uh, they ha- Yep, exactly. They have a debt bubble. Uh, They have, you know, where their debt is concerned, they have credit risks for money lending that is done not through banks. Uh, And it's kind of dark money lending. There are a lot of different kind of bubbles that China could go through. And any one of those could cause them all to pop. And if you have a bubble pop in China previously, years and I guess maybe probably 10 years ago, they had a bunch of cash and U.S. bonds on hand, and you felt like, hey, it's that's the beautiful thing about being a totalitarian slash capitalist state, that you can always basically buy your way out of it. What's the position now of China as, you know, when when you look at their stockpile of cash and bonds, what could they do to get out of it? Could they? They would, well, they, they own enough foreign assets now that they could lean on Europe, the United States, Australia, uh, other parts of greater Asia to to really help them get out. It would be in everybody's best interest for China not to go through the crisis we had in 2008, where in 2008, you could make the case that our crisis supercharged their economy, where China was growing at a exponential rate going into the 2000s. They became the safe haven in 2009, and it really supercharged their economy. So we won't have that ability where if China's bubble bursts, that will you know, force everybody to come to the United States. People will quickly – that may happen in the first month, right, until it sets in that, wow, 30% of this American company is owned by a China firm. And, and I found that in, in the politics that I've gotten into, I go to speak to some of these companies and they're great. Let's come in. We'd like to give you a tour. And a couple of days later, you hear from their PR person, hey, you're the China guy, right? And I'm like, no, I'm Dan. Yeah, no, you're the China guy. We're going to reschedule. So hmm. I look at that company and I find they had 59 subsidiaries in China. Mm. Interesting. So, Jed, when you hear, do, do did this move making this movie completely freak you out? I mean, let me just say that you you were you made a movie about Al Qaeda terrorists. Yes. That seems really scary. How does this compare? Well, those Similar. guys were you know they were scarier um, in the moment. Um, certainly, being in a room with some of those guys, um, but I think that this is a this is systemically scary mm. uh, because of everything that Dan was just talking about. Uh, I, I'm a little more optimistic when I see guys like Kun, one of the researchers who, who went to jail, whose story is in the film, 
or the fellow who goes by the name of Summer, who's a, and a works in sort of government media in China and came and spoke to us. Because I think there are a lot of people in China who want to make it a sort of good global citizen and yeah. good financial market citizen. And, the, yeah. you know, it's a big, big, big country. There's a lot going right, on Right, out there. of a billion people, we got to have a few that are... Well, yeah, let's, more see, than, let's see what happens now that President Xi is Emperor Xi. They have... Forever. Yeah, that's right. a... As we, as any, hopefully anybody in our country would say that, you know, having but, a, a leader for life is, is generally a terrible thing. And I, I'm, I'm not... I don't want to soft pedal the, the danger of the problems, but I do think there are a lot of people who want to shed light on things and 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 make China the best place it can be because which is important for us because at the end of the day we are becoming more integrated and we have to and I don't I think whether or not we desire it we're going to all be part of this big global market and this big global village and we might I'd rather have it be more open like America than closed like these places where there's no free speech and you know the president can be on for life so I'm I try to look at the the half full side of it and see these guys who are who are risking a lot for a better future. Now, I would not have guessed that that would have been your outlook as uh, I guess that I sort of um, geographically profiled you because before we got on the air, you said you know, basically you're, you're a Brooklyn hipster and you're an artist, and uh, so I'm I thought a Brooklynite. That's yeah, for sure. That's right, and uh, <laughs> and I like, am not, <laughs> and you are not. But so it's interesting to hear the difference. Uh, well, I disagree. I mean, I think this is a bigger problem. I really do. I mean, somebody, I mean, hundreds of years old, uh, the, the pen is mightier than the sword. That was true when it was pens and swords. But today I can tell you that the computer is mightier than the missile mm. uh, in, in, in a very big way. Uh, and it's, it's information warfare. It's unconventional information warfare. And it's unconventional financial warfare by other means. If we... Think that the hundreds of billions of dollars that have been stolen from American investors went to China and just sat idle in bank accounts. We are sadly mistaken. It came back here through a different investment vehicle to buy our companies and control our jobs. And nobody is really seeing 10 steps ahead at, at why things are being done and how they're being done. It's a 20-year plan. Okay, now you can go and stream this movie, The China Hustle. It's available on Hulu, Amazon Prime, and iTunes. We'll be getting back to your questions throughout the week, so don't forget to send us an email. Ask Jill at jillonmoney.com. And of course, wash your hands, wear your masks, maintain your physical distancing, and do something nice for someone today. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow. 